Well, in the last few weeks, we've had the joy of welcoming two newborn babies into our church family. Got to meet Wilder this morning, though he didn't meet me yet. He was sleeping. But do you want to know something that these babies will never have to worry about? At least not while they're babies. Chores. Think about it. They don't give a thought to who makes the beds, who does the dishes, who takes out the trash, or who mows the lawn. These things happen entirely apart from them. But of course, as our children get older, though previously they had no part in these tasks, good parents begin to introduce these responsibilities to their children. Candace and I find ourselves at this stage in our home right now, and there are some familiar comments that we hear. Do I have to? I don't know how. And of course, there's every parent's absolutely favorite question, but why? Sometimes it feels like it would just be easier to keep doing the chores ourselves. But good parents know that in order for their children to mature into adulthood, They need to learn to embrace their responsibilities. They need to be trained in how to carry out those responsibilities. And most importantly, they need to discover the value of fulfilling their responsibilities. Well, these are things that followers of Jesus need to learn as well. Following Jesus is not merely a call to receive from him. It's a call to give to others. It's not only about being objects of his ministry to us, it's about being ministers to others. It's about bringing Christ to others and helping other people follow Jesus too. But too often, we don't embrace this call to ministry. Do I have to? Or we object that we don't know how to do ministry, we're not equipped for it, I don't know how. Or we fail to see the value of ministry to other people, but why? Well, my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would help us through his word to embrace and to carry out ministry to others because we believe in our hearts that it is truly worth it. If you open your Bibles to Matthew 14, we are continuing our series through Matthew called Following the Fulfillment. And this morning's text is Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. If you grew up in church, then you know the story. Let's begin reading in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. 
The feeding of the 5,000 appears in each of the four different accounts of the gospel in the New Testament, and each author draws out unique truths for our reflection. And so this morning, we want to know is what is Matthew emphasizing? What, what does Matthew uniquely draw out from this miracle? And what we're going to see as we dive into the text is that for Matthew, though this is a story about Jesus, and this is a story about what he can do, it's also a story about his followers and what he calls us to do. This story is as much about the disciples as it is about Jesus, and as much about our ministry as it is about his miracle. And so let's take a closer look at the passage, and as we do, this morning we're going to see three ministry principles for followers of Christ. Three ministry principles for followers of Christ from the feeding of the 5,000. And we have these on the screen as we go. First, true followers of Jesus are not ministry spectators they're ministry doers. True followers of Jesus are not ministry spectators, they're ministry doers. The passage begins in verse 13 by telling us, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So Matthew's clearly picking up from the previous passage, though it's a little unclear whether Jesus is responding to the news of John the Baptist's death, or to the news that Herod thinks Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. If he's withdrawing because of John's death, then it's probably because he desires to be alone to grieve for the Father. If it's because of Herod's speculations, he's probably withdrawing to get away from the public eye. But either way, he's withdrawing from the crowds. But look what happens next in verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Have you ever wanted to get away but couldn't? Moms? I know you know that feeling. Fingers underneath the bathroom door, right? <laughs> so what's happening to Jesus here? He's seeking to withdraw, but the crowds go to the place where he's withdrawing, and they want more from him. And if we were being honest with ourselves, what would we do? We'd probably get back in the boat, right? But look at how Jesus responds at the end of verse 14. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Though Jesus was seeking to be alone, his heart was moved to compassion by the crowds. He saw their needs, and his heart was moved toward them. And he went ashore, and he spent the day laboring on their behalf and healing all of their sicknesses. And this is just the wonderful picture we get of Jesus Christ. He will never close his heart off to you. His compassion toward you will never grow cold. He will never tire of ministering to you. He will never tire of meeting your needs. That's who Jesus is. But this passage isn't only about Jesus. It's about the disciples too. Matthew was one of them. And that's where he turns our attention next in verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. You know, I remember when I was a kid, how after church, my parents would talk to other church members, and they would talk, and they would talk, and they would talk. And my sister and I would eventually reach that point where we would somehow make it known to them that we were ready to go home. And it seems like the disciples reached that point here. Jesus had been ministering to the crowds all day, and it's getting close to dusk, and you, you know social cues when you know, you're in someone's house and first someone stands and then you kind of just move toward the door, and no one's saying it's time to go, but there's, there's ways to know. They're not getting any of that. 
there's no indications that Jesus or the crowds are ready to call today. But they're ready. And so they creatively come to Jesus and say, don't you think they should get some dinner? Don't you think that we've done enough for one day, Jesus? Look at how Jesus responds in verse 16. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. See, the disciples were hoping that Jesus would stop ministering to the crowds. And instead, Jesus calls them to start ministering to the crowds. You give them something to eat. You minister to them. You care for their needs. You serve them. You provide for them. True followers of Jesus are not ministry spectators. They are ministry doers. After a whole day of watching Jesus minister to the crowds, Jesus lays the responsibility of ministry on the disciples. In church, Jesus lays the responsibility of ministry on you. He says to each one of us this morning, you give them something to eat. You do it. Whose job is it to do ministry? We've been accustomed to speaking of pastors as being in the ministry, but the problem with this is that it can give the impression that everyone else is out of the ministry. That's not the pattern we see in the Bible. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Whose job is it to do ministry, according to these verses? It's the job of every single one of us. Pastors and leaders are uniquely assigned not to do the ministry, but instead to equip the saints to do the ministry. We are all called to the ministry of building up the body of Christ. You give them something to eat. And you might say to yourself, who do I minister to? And my answer, church, is to humbly implore you to open your eyes. I mean, open your eyes. There are people sitting right next to you and right in front of you and right behind you, and they are broken and needy. Every single one of us is broken and needy for real, authentic ministry from one another. The people in your discipleship groups need you. They need you to be there for them. You might not feel like you need them, but they need you. The people in your workplaces need you. The people in your families need you. The people who live next door to you, they need you. Every person you meet, inside and outside the body of Christ, is someone you can minister to. And this morning, Jesus is calling you to have a heart of compassion for them, to see them. And he says to you, you give them something to eat. Don't be a ministry spectator. Embrace the call to be a ministry doer. It's the first principle we see in this story. Ministry is the responsibility of every one of us. The second principle we see is this. Our insufficiency for ministry displays Christ's all-sufficiency. Our insufficiency for ministry displays Christ's all-sufficiency. Jesus instructed the disciples, you give them something to eat, but there was one major problem. The disciples didn't have any way of doing that. We read their objection in verse 17. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. In other words, you want us to give them something to eat, Jesus? What are we supposed to give them? We don't even have enough for ourselves. We can't feed these crowds. Now we should recognize that what they're saying is true. They don't have enough. Not even close. 
But Jesus is with them, and that changes everything. Look at verse 18. And he said, bring them here to me. Probably the most important words in this passage right there. Bring them here to me. Jesus instructs the disciples to give what they don't have, and then he instructs them to bring what they do have to him. And look at what he does when they bring what they have to him. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Try to imagine what we just read, church. What's happening in this moment? Just picture Jesus first, thanking his Father in heaven for the meal that they're about to eat. All these people. And then he takes the first loaf of bread, and he breaks it into a few pieces and gives it to the disciples. And then the next, and he breaks it and gives it to the disciples. And then the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and final loaf. Except now there's more than five. There's a sixth loaf and a seventh loaf and an eighth loaf. Fully baked loaves of bread are spontaneously appearing. Fully prepared fish that never once swam in the water are being served to people. This miracle speaks to us, perhaps like no other, that the man, Jesus Christ, is fully divine. Just as God spoke into existence in Genesis 1, that which did not exist, so Jesus here speaks into existence that which did not exist. This miracle testifies to the truth that Jesus is the almighty and all-sufficient creator God. Now with that truth firmly established, what we need to see is the connection between the insufficiency of the disciples and the all-sufficiency of Jesus. You see, this passage does not just hold out those two opposite realities to us. Yes, the disciples are insufficient. Yes, Jesus is all-sufficient. But when we think about the miracle more carefully, what is it that connects the disciples' insufficient meal to Jesus' all-sufficient feast? It's his instruction, bring them here to me. It is as the disciples bring their insufficiency to Jesus that Jesus displays his all-sufficiency. Jesus actually takes the little that they have and he turns it into an overabundance. And more than that, through Jesus' work, it is still the disciples who fulfill the instruction he gave them. Jesus gives the bread and fish to the disciples and the disciples are the ones who actually give the crowd something to eat. They obey his instruction, which they could not obey because of his sufficiency to them. Church, Jesus calls us to minister to others, and we are completely insufficient for this task. He asks us to give to others what we don't have to give. All we have are five loaves and two fish. We cannot satisfy the needs of broken people. But this does not give us the right to reject the call to ministry. And the reason we can't do that is because the one who calls us to give what we do not have will provide all we need when we bring ourselves to him. The one who calls us to give what we do not have will provide all we need when we bring ourselves to him. 
This is what the Apostle Paul had to learn. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, he wrote these words, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Well, how is it exactly that God made Paul sufficient? How does that work? How does that happen? How does God take someone who's insufficient and make them sufficient? The answer comes later in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12. The Lord gave Paul what he described as a thorn in the flesh, which was to be a continual reminder to Paul of his great insufficiency. And why did the Lord want Paul to remember his insufficiency? These are the Lord's words to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Church, listen. Your insufficiency is not an excuse to refrain from ministry. Your insufficiency is not an excuse to refrain from ministry. Your insufficiency is the very thing that qualifies you for ministry. If you know your insufficiency, then God's power can rest on you. If you know your weakness, then God's strength can be displayed through you. When you bring yourself and all your insufficiency and all your weakness to Jesus, he will work wonders through you. His power will rest on you. He will use you in a way that is as mysterious and magnificent as the way he takes five loaves of bread and feeds 5,000 people. We don't understand that. We don't know how he did that, but he did it. And he'll do it through you. When you bring yourself in your insufficiency, our insufficiency for ministry displays his all-sufficiency. That's the, that's the point. That's the point, because it's not about us. It's about him. And so church, bring yourselves to him. Receive from him and behold his work through you. Ministry is our responsibility. We are called to be ministry doers. We're insufficient for this ministry, but Christ makes us sufficient when we bring ourselves to him. But finally, the third and final principle, the labor of ministry is worth the reward of ministry. The labor of ministry is worth the reward of ministry. When the disciples had asked Jesus to send the crowds away, Jesus instructed them, you give them something to eat. When the disciples objected to Jesus, they don't have enough, Jesus said, bring it here to me. When the disciples brought what they had to Jesus, he turned it into a feast that satisfied the hungry stomachs of 5,000 men and their families. But how did the food get from the hands of Jesus to the mouths of the crowds? Through the labor of the disciples. If you've ever been involved in serving food to a crowd, has anyone here been a waiter or a waitress or a caterer at an event? Okay, if you've ever done that, then you know that feeding 5,000 men and their families would be no easy task. Verse 21 tells us that this was besides women and children, so it's not a stretch to say this could have been 12,000 people being fed in this moment. They're dispersed into groups in the fields, and it's the 12 disciples, just 12 guys, 12 guys who are running food from Jesus to a group, likely over and over, back to Jesus, back to another group, 
over and over and over again until 12,000 people or so had received a meal. It was work to feed this many people. But when the meal is done, look at what we learn at the end of verse 20. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. I want to ask you, why would Jesus not only miraculously create enough bread and fish so that everyone could eat and be satisfied, but actually, he knew, I'm going to make more than that. I'm going to make more than enough. I'm going to create so much extra food that we're going to have 12 baskets of leftovers in the end. Did Jesus just miscalculate how much was needed? No. No, he did this so that each one of the 12 disciples could know that the labor of ministry comes with the reward of ministry. Jesus didn't just use them to give food to the crowds. Jesus gave each of them an overabundance of food for their labors. This is such a beautiful, important point, church. Jesus wants to reward you for your labors in ministry. You know, I heard recently from a pastor I know about a conversation that he had had with a former elder who had stopped serving in his church. And the pastor asked him what made him decide to stop. And here's what the former elder said to him. People just aren't worth the trouble. People just aren't worth the trouble. Is that true? Are people just not worth the trouble and the labor that ministry demands? Here's the reality, church. There's so much joy in ministry. There's so much joy in coming alongside people as Jesus works in them and seeing their lives transformed. There's so much joy in being part of God's work in the church and in the world. But there is also so much sacrifice and heartbreak and rejection. The world hates Christ. They will hate us too. The church is full of sin. And those who minister to others will experience that firsthand. Real ministry to others requires hard labor and it brings inevitable suffering. And when that happens, it's no wonder that we might ask, is it really worth it? And church, from the bottom of my heart this morning, to tell you, yes, it's worth it. It is so worth it. There is a reward for laboring in ministry that we cannot get any other way. To really get this, we need to draw a connection between the bread that Jesus gives and what the bread represents. Listen to the words in verses 19 and 20 again. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Now listen to the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And said, take, eat, this is my body. Do you hear the similarity in those verses? He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread to his disciples. Though they didn't know it at the time, the food that Jesus gave when he broke bread and fed 5,000 hungry people, represents the spiritual food that he would give when his own body was broken for our sins. And ultimately, church, the food that we give to others in ministry is Christ himself. 
We're not called to give bread to this world. We're not called to give fish to one another. We are ministers of Christ. All our labor and all our toil and all our sacrifice is to bring the all-satisfying love of Christ to others. And what is it that makes this worth it, church? It's that when we labor to give Christ to others, we actually gain more of Christ ourselves. When we sacrifice to bring Christ to someone, we actually will be rewarded with a deeper communion with Christ in our own hearts. When we suffer as ministers of Christ, we get to share more deeply in our fellowship with Christ who suffered for us. The labor of ministry is worth the reward of ministry because the reward of ministry is a deeper walk with Jesus. And he alone is incomparably satisfying to our souls. Jesus doesn't call you to embrace the labor of ministry because he needs you. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need Redeemer Church. His ministry in this world will not fail if we fail to embrace the responsibility for it. But we will miss out on an unspeakable communion with Jesus. Church, if you don't take on a fully others-oriented mentality, your life is not for you. You are ministers of Christ to other people all the time. If you don't take on that mentality, embrace that call, bring yourself and your insufficiency to Jesus every day, say, Lord, who do you want me to give food to today? If you don't do that, you're missing out on fellowship with Jesus. You're missing out on the sweetest communion with Jesus that we can have in this life. You're missing out on knowing him Jesus calls us to embrace the labor of ministry for our own joy in experiencing him as our reward. And it's for this reason that I urge you this morning, church family, give yourselves to the work of ministry. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your overabundance of grace to us. We were created for communion with you. Our sins separated us from you. And you gave your Son, who in perfect compassion ministered to our needs by breaking his body for us so that we could be satisfied and brought back to you. And we praise you for the communion that we have with you now. But Lord, we want more of you. Jesus, we want more of you. And you tell us here that we can have more of you when we embrace your call to give you to others. We're insufficient for this, but Jesus, you are all sufficient. And you will meet us in that moment of insufficiency with your all-sufficiency. And you will reward us with an overabundance of what we give to others so that we could have even more joy in you. Oh Lord, please allow this vision to penetrate our hearts and change our lives. Transform this church and to reach into this world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.